Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad. Actually, no, we don't even have a bad today. We have good, good and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Although if the last one actually comes true, it could end up being a bad martini a little bit later down the line. We also want to let you know of a couple of interesting updates on the Three Martini Lunch. First of all, uh, if you do like us, head over to iTunes and give us a nice review. That definitely helps us. And also, if you have made the decision to purchase an NSA surveillance device, you can now listen to us on those. Uh, Alexa or Google Home, all you have to do is say, Alexa or Google, play the Three Martini Lunch podcast. And if your laptop is right next to your Alexa, you're now listening to us in stereo. So you're welcome. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Pod bay doors must remain closed. Um, Yes, that's wonderful. I myself had thought about marketing one, uh, one of those devices myself. I actually got a giant government grant, and we were going to call it. The the name of the product was going to be spelled E-N-E-S-A-Y. And then you would say, NSA, schedule my doctor's appointment. And it would say things like, uploading your medical records to the central database, you know, and things like that. But uh, apparently some people were worried about it, so. Anyway, enjoy it. If you've already got it, the government knows everything about you anyway, so you might as well enjoy the three martini lunch on it. He's dead, so you might as well enjoy the convenience. (laughs) All right. While your privacy is now in the dumper, the political future of Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, might be there as well. That's good martini number one. Uh, This is courtesy of Politico with some analysis from Jazz Shaw over at Hot Air. All bets are now off about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's political survival. An ethics scandal has plunged Canada's government into disarray, with the Prime Minister himself facing unprecedented political peril. A flood of new details alleged Trudeau and several senior government officials repeatedly pressured his former Attorney General to drop corruption charges against a large construction company and reach a settlement agreement. Trudeau's political opponents sent police a letter Thursday requesting an investigation and called for Trudeau's resignation. Conservative Andrew Scheer, who hopes to replace Trudeau, says he can no longer, and in good standing with a clear conscience, lead this nation. Over to Jazz Shaw now. When the allegation of interfering with the Attorney General's office first emerged, Trudeau's team flatly denied there had been any such involvement. But this week, the former attorney general in question, Jody Wilson-Raybould, provided testimony and notes from meetings and phone calls detailing the conversations she'd had with the prime minister's staff and even Trudeau himself. Compounding matters is the fact that the company, SNC-Lavalin, is a major employer in Quebec where Trudeau is a member of parliament. The AG testified that Trudeau himself had reminded her that there was an election coming up in Quebec and this would look very bad. Wilson-Raybould was then demoted by the prime minister and replaced by a new official from Trudeau's home province. So, uh, Jim, it's uh, always a good day when government corruption uh, gets exposed. And and under the sunshine of transparency, we don't know what will happen to Trudeau here, but uh, the bloom might be off the rose. Yeah, I mean, look, lest anyone say, oh, look at that. Jim and Greg are just rooting against Justin Trudeau and cheering for his downfall just because they don't like him. Au contraire, I say, for all of our Quebecois listeners out there. Uh, now, look, admittedly, there, may be, may, there are a couple of reasons why ever since Justin Trudeau has appeared on the scene, there's been that, you know, something stuck in Mark Craw, and it's not just poutine. It's that <laughs> sense that, you know, when your father was head of state, uh, I, I do recall George W. Bush, this argument of spoiled daddy's boy 
wouldn't be anywhere without his father, you know, all that kind of stuff. We've heard about George W. Bush. Here are kind of similar arguments about Trump and his father and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Justin Trudeau seems to get a pass over the fact that his father was prime minister a generation ago. And I've very rarely heard the argument through Trudeau is any type of an elitist or child of privilege or anything like that. They just kind of hand wave it, it seems, that away. Uh, if you have the right kind of views, he's that perfect dweeb punk photogenic but he still has all the right points of view and people say he's smart i'm not sure i always uh, have I've thought what he said has been smart um he's the self-proclaimed feminist who has the occasional claims of sexual harassment or mistreatment of women um but i think look it, it's also probably fairest to say that justin trudeau is one of those world leaders who embodies that davos class he's that guy who's against big business except for the ones that are donating to his party because those ones are okay and this would appear to be that kind of an example where uh look you know, we don't intervene on behalf of big businesses because big businesses are, we're, we're as, as leftists, as progressives, we're naturally skeptical of them unless they're our friends and then they're okay. Um, and so I think that's what this, you know, the idea of what might be kind of delicious if this pans out and if these allegations do seem to be true. It all seems very plausible because we know this is the sort of thing that a lot of people, not just in Canada, but in the United States and around the world, you know, this is why people in big business, big business want to have friends in high places. They want to have elected leaders. This is why they make all those big donations. So, again, it's not proven yet. We'll remain see whether this actually leads to his uh forced resignation or, or something like that. But um, look, this is a very familiar story in a lot of countries. And uh, I'm not quite sure why Justin Trudeau would be offered the benefit of the doubt that we might not give to other ones. Um, you know, it just feels like a guy who's been, you know, living a charmed life in Canadian politics. Uh, reality might be catching up to him really fast. Jim, I don't know if you remember this. We think we talked about it once or twice where uh, when there was an election, a race for the Conservative Party leadership and Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank was running for it. He didn't ultimately win it. But if he had, he'd potentially be in a position to rise to prime minister if this scandal were to uh, uh, to reach an epic point, which would then leave uh, two of the three uh, North American heads of state being reality show stars. Come on, Mexico. You got you, There's somebody down there has got to be an option. Some, somebody who hosted Super Blah Blahzo or something like that. All right. Let's talk about our second good martini. Man, it's nice to actually have not only one but two good martinis today. The Democrats are fighting with each other. Uh, this is uh, because some Democrats who consider themselves moderates but probably just more than anything want to get reelected have been siding with Republicans on motions to recommit on the House floor. Usually after a bill passes, there's a motion to recommit and normally it doesn't go anywhere because the majority liked the bill that just passed. But a couple times now, a couple dozen Democrats have sided with Republicans and things have actually changed. This week, it was after they passed their universal background check bill, uh, the Republicans issued a motion to recommit, which would add language to the resolution, uh, forcing any gun shop owner who uh, came across an illegal immigrant trying to buy a gun to report that to ICE. And it actually passed because 26 Democrats sided with the Republicans. Nancy Pelosi not happy about this. Free beacon. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told moderate Democrats during a closed-door meeting on Thursday to stop siding with Republicans on procedural votes, saying they could become a lower priority for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in 2020. During Thursday's meeting, Pelosi warned Democrats who voted with Republicans on the latest motion to recommit, saying, This is not a day at the beach. This is the Congress of the United States. Pelosi was later quoted as saying, We are either a team or we're not, and we have to make that decision. She was backed up by new Democratic quote-unquote superstar Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who offered to put the word out that Democrats voting with the GOP on anything at all should be up for a primary challenge 
in 2020. So, Jim, big tent going on there in the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, look, basically the message here is Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio to purple state or purple district Democrats. Stop being purple district Democrats. (laughs) Stop. Stop knowing what your district will accept and what it won't. Stop thinking of your own uh, of of your constituents. Stop thinking of your own self-preservation and what's likely to keep you around for a while. Do as we say. That's that's the message right there. Um, now, way back when I covered the House floor back on uh, 98, 99 for Congressional Quarterly, and it's worth noting, the motion to recommit used to have two purposes. The first was like the minority, what the Republicans have managed to do in these two cases is kind of their, usually they don't succeed. Um, usually they're purely of symbolic value. Some sort of legislation gets through the committee process, and it doesn't include some amendment or some idea that the minority would like to have on there. So the motion to recommit is go back and add this, and then it'll be a better bill, and then we'll vote to pass it. Um, it's almost a, hey, you forgot to do this uh, uh, provision to, to, you know, for, for getting legislation passed. And there can be a purpose for it if you're in the majority. It's easier if you have a bigger majority. That if you've got some folks in your uh, district who know this is going to be a tough vote, who know this isn't going to play well in their district, the motion to recommit can be kind of a fig leaf. It can be kind of a little bit of cover to say, well, look, you can either vote against it or you can say, well, I voted for a, recom- a re- motion to recommit because I wanted it to have this other thing in there that would make the bill for it. It gives them a little bit of cover uh, for a bill that might not play well back in their district. And, you know, this back when I was covered, this would happen and not on every piece of legislation, but on pretty much every major one. And this would be the, the you know, like the, where the minority party would make their stand and also a certain sense where if you were one of those wavering folks in the, in the majority party, where you wanted this thing to pass, but you knew it was going to be a, a tough one, you could, you know, vote for the motion to recommit. And that was a little bit of cover there or something. Um, but if you're going to do this, you need to know how your, how your majority is going to vote. <laughs> the answer here is that Pelosi and her crew can't count votes. The, the, you know, once it happens, okay, it's an accident. Twice, it starts to look like a habit. And they're basically putting out legislation that a chunk of their purple district Democrats can't vote for. So, you know, the way you, you know how you avoid this, you check with them beforehand. You don't you try not to put them in that position. Otherwise, the people who are part of that big wave aren't going to be around for very long. And yes, some of them are in your classic swing districts. But, you know, some of them are representing places like Oklahoma City and coastal South Carolina and places like that. Not easy districts um, that they managed to win in a, you know, fairly uh, advantageous and maybe even unique set of circumstances. So. All in all, if you're a Democrat, you're this is this is egg on your face. Right? You're supposed to know this kind of stuff uh, if you're Nancy Pelosi and her house whips and, and all that kind of stuff. So don't don't berate people for voting for their interests and voting their districts. Berate people for, you know, not letting you know ahead of time and or berate, berate your own people for not letting you know that you had your 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 caucus was not unified behind these ideas. So um Really, Mrs. Madam Speaker, there's not that many people to blame besides yourself. Yeah, Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, is now uh, publicly musing about changing the rules on motions to recommit because of these embarrassments. But uh, hey, that's the problem. Yes, yes, because it's been such a huge problem in the past. And hey, if you uh, if you want to insist on all your uh, swing district members to toe the AOC line, uh, we'll take that going into 2020. I think that could help us out quite a bit. Let's move on to our bad slash crazy martini now, Jim. And for that, we go to the Washington Examiner and David Drucker. Roy Moore, a conservative lightning rod who cost the Republican Party a Senate seat in deep red Alabama, is signaling fresh interest in mounting another campaign in 2020, sparking alarm on the right that Democratic Senator Doug Jones could be gifted another unlikely victory. 
Moore, 72, a former state judge, made the rounds at last Friday's Alabama Republican Party dinner gala. A few days later, a new political action committee run by Moore's son, Caleb, issued an email fundraising appeal. Republican insiders, including conservative allies of President Trump, fret that Moore, who was derailed by sexual assault allegations in a 2017 special election that should have been an easy layup, might divide the party in the primary and advance to a rematch with Jones. On Wednesday, a more confidant pointedly declined to rule out that his buddy might run for Senate next year. That's a good question, said Dean Young, Moore's close friend and advisor for the past two decades. I'm not at liberty to say anything about that. Right now, if Moore runs the National Republican Senatorial Committee, the Senate GOP campaign arm would take action to block him from the nomination. Otherwise, they plan to stay out of the primary. There's already um, what a lot of folks are calling a moderate uh, member of Congress in this race, Bradley Byrne. Uh, Mo Brooks, who ran in the special election but lost in the first round of the primary in 2017, is also thinking about it. So, uh, Jim, how hard do you want to slam your forehead into your desk when you hear that Roy Moore could get into this race next year for a, a seat that we've almost already chalked up in the red column for 2020? Greg, I've, uh, I very rarely doubt that uh, Roy Moore is listening to us. Probably even less likely that he's listening on an Alexa device. Um, but just in case he is, I'm going to try to put it in as non-antagonistic a way as possible. Here in Virginia, Corey Stewart stopped running. Okay, This was our perennial. <laughs> some would say extremist. Some would say uh, politically challenged figure who, who had a propensity for controversy, uh, he probably, you know, in a, a cause near and dear to Moore's heart, you know, touting up the Confederacy and those Confederate statues and how dare anybody take them down. Corey Stewart uh, was a absolute walking disaster area going up against Tim Kaine, uh, who is our senator. And I must remind people was Hillary Clinton's running mate because it's easy <laughs> to forget that. That's how unmemorable Tim Kaine is. And the year before that, he challenged uh, Gillespie, nearly beat Gillespie in the gubernatorial primary. Corey Stewart's run for a bunch of races. And each year it's like, no, no, we're going to show people. We're going to surprise people. Here's the metaphor for both Corey Stewart and Roy Moore, Greg. I'm going to have to, people going to forgive me. This is definitely a New York, New Jersey thing. And this is definitely a Generation X thing. This is kind of like Rich Kotite, the former head coach of the New York Jets, who had uh, had had a you know the Jets had had a had fired Pete Carroll, who you may recall went on to win championships at the University of Southern California and with the Seattle Seahawks. After one year, the Jets let Pete Carroll go because they'd ended the season with a five-game losing streak. It was indisputably disappointing. They hired Rich Kotite, who had just been fired as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles after he had had a seven-game losing streak to end the season. Um, you know, and, and by this point, Rich Kotite had kind of gotten a reputation as a guy who'd had a, you know, at that point, kind of mixed record, but starting to get out of touch with players, kind of this hapless uh, reputation. Jets go out, first year of Rich Kotite, they go 3-13. and 13. It is a bad, bad team. The one thing the team has going for them is that they've got a good tight end named Johnny Mitchell. Naturally, with, I want to say, you know, I'm going to say like the seventh or eighth pick, somewhere a fairly high pick in the next round draft, the New York Jets select... A tight end, Kyle Brady. It's the one position on the team they already had somebody. And everybody's like, what are you doing? And then Rich Kotite said, look, we know what we're doing. Just you wait and see. We're going to do a double tight end offense. Nobody had done a double tight end offense in the NFL at that era for you know years and years. We're going to do this. Just you wait and see. We're going to prove the doubter is all wrong. Rich Kotite went out and went, went one in 15 in the following season. Finally getting an answer, but so accumulating a four and 12, four wins over a two year span, really, really bad. It just got the, the parallel here is that 
when you keep insisting to the world, don't you worry, I'm going to show you this is going to work, and it doesn't, it's time for some self-reflection. If you're Roy Moore and you manage to lose a statewide race as a Republican in Alabama, you really need to go and look and say, okay, what did I do wrong? Not just with your whole life and perhaps your dating, dating habits way back when. You know, I was convinced this was going to win. I had, I'm the most favorable state in the union for my party, or certainly one of the top you know, couple. And you lost to Doug Jones. And no one's referred to Doug Jones as a whirling dervish of raw political charisma here. Right? Time to go back to the drawing board. Oh, by the way, one last thought here, Greg. Didn't he raise a ton of money for a recount? Yes. Well, Whatever happened to that money? I don't know how much he raised, but he did. Yeah, he was planning to do a recount that never happened. There was no recount because it wasn't all that close in the end. I mean, you know, close by Alabama standards. But uh, it was not the sort of one where you thought, oh, you know, a little, uh, couple of votes here, a couple of votes there was going to do it. Look, you, you, you managed to lose the, the race that no other Republican would lose. You should not run again. And I just get tired of these guys who are, you know, this is the sort of circumstance where Jim Gilmore's 2016 presidential campaign looks realistic and, and you know, self-aware. You know? <laughs> do you have a preference there? Do you know much about Byrne? Do you want Mo Brooks? Do you want Big Luther back? Or is it just anybody but Roy? Uh, honest to goodness, the, the, the entire process left such a, a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, I might like to, if we have any young up-and-coming rising star principled scandal-free <laughs> uh options down there that sounds pretty pretty up might be time for some new blood is what i'm saying there greg wow what a what a week uh from start to finish uh jim we'll see you on monday have a good one see you monday greg jim garrity of national review i'm greg Columbus of radio america thanks for being with us today have a terrific weekend everyone and please join us again on monday for the next three martini lunch